0: Amen. You can grab a seat. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It's good to see you all here with us. Welcome to those of you watching online. I read a familiar verse in a different translation recently, and it really blew me away. It's some words of Jesus that he said to his disciples 33 years after his birth and his arrival to us on that very first Christmas and just days before he would allow himself to be captured and killed. It's a famous little dialogue because it's the one where Peter responds to what Jesus says by saying, Jesus, I would never betray you. And Jesus says, well, Peter, actually before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me. The more typical versions of this verse have this statement that Jesus makes before Peter responds, say something like, you will all fall away. Or you will desert me. And Jesus is just predicting how our human souls tend to respond in waiting. Jesus knew they would be confused and lost after his death while waiting to see what would happen next. The version I read this statement of Jesus from is the message. And it hit me so hard because I just relate to it so deeply in my soul right now. And I think maybe you will too. It's Mark 14, 27, and 28. Jesus told them, you're all going to feel that your world is falling apart and that it's my fault. Isn't that a heavy statement? Does anybody else feel like their world has been falling apart this year? And it seems like there have been so many ways that God could have stepped in and changed some circumstances or showed up and granted immediate peace. As we approach Christmas, to me, it feels like I'm just limping to get there. But I think of these words of Jesus, and I think of how much his heart was hurting for what he knew his friends that he loved would be going through in the coming days. It's meaningful to me to picture Jesus saying these words to me now, Susie, you're going to feel that your world is falling apart and that it's my fault. Such empathy. I need that from Jesus right now. 2020 has been quite the storm. and I've been trying desperately to find some peace while waiting for this seemingly never-ending storm to stop. Have you ever spent a night alone on a remote mountainside? during a terrible thunderstorm. I have and I'll never forget it. I was a backpacking guide one summer in college and circumstances had me overnight all by myself with all of the group's gear awaiting their arrival the next morning. Now this was well before cell phones. I was hours away from any other humans. I was in a tent all by myself in the middle of the night When the most awful and loud thunderstorm fired up, and it went on for hours. I don't think I've ever been more scared in my life. The storm was so close, just right on top of me all night long. Huge cracks of thunder and lightning over my head. It was just relentless. I prayed so hard that night. Jesus, please make this storm stop. Protect me from a lightning strike. Give me peace. I'm so scared. Why won't it stop? Why won't you stop it? I cannot recall one moment of peace given to me by God that night I spent alone. And my inner voice just took a slow, dark progression. I started writing the story of how the group would find me dead in the morning, and somehow there would be a sign on my body that said, Here lies Susie literally scared to death last night by a thunderstorm that wouldn't quit. That was my experience of one very long night crying out to God while waiting for really scary circumstances to end. What makes waiting so difficult is how our inner voices can just start wrecking shop. The longer we're forced to wait, the louder and the more angsty that inner voice can get. And that crazy voice of mine, it does nothing to bring me peace. That voice blames everything on the people and the circumstances around me. And that voice blames God for not changing any of those things for my sake. We are quick to blame our circumstances for robbing us of peace. Or we are quick to blame God for not changing them. I wonder if our own inner voice is more often than not the one to blame. That was just one night in my life. This year has handed me many, many, many nights like that. Not of actual thunderstorms while I'm alone on a mountainside, but the breaking of my heart has resembled those cracks of thunder. The consistent fear of what was to come, of my suffering spirit in these challenging days, resembled the fear that I felt for hours on that mountainside in the dark, just waiting for the storm to end. My literal skin feeling like the only armor that I've had in recent months, resembled those thin tent walls. The only thing protecting me from endless rain and wind that night that God didn't seem to care about stopping. This year, my peace has been kicked around some. I imagine yours has too. And I'm not just talking about a lack of peace for the insane circumstances going on in our entire world right now. I'm talking about a lack of peace right here. In my very personal circumstances. A lack of peace in your very personal circumstances. I've had to fight hard to find peace and that has frustrated me and made me question my God and what on earth has he been up to while I'm waiting for my prince of peace to show up. My own destructive inner voice has been magnified during this time of waiting. The Israelites, we learned last week, spent much longer than just one night with these intrusive thoughts. They spent much longer than just one year with these doubts and fears and questions of God. They spent 400 years, 400 years of silence and waiting. And those 400 years had to have resembled some of this last year of my life. Waging war with all those inner voices while waiting on peace to show up and quiet them all. We're in our second week of Advent, and we're going to talk about waiting and peace today. Waiting is incredibly frustrating. But there is something about this time spent waiting that allows God to form something in us. Waiting, like especially a lot of waiting opens something up in us that can connect us to real peace, not just circumstantial peace. Because the real stuff, like that's what we're after anyway, right? We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning, looking at verses 1 through 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there, where Isaiah is going to show us how God can form us in the waiting. And what I see rising to the surface in this chunk of text are three different voices, all of them working together as a sort of roadmap to peace. But we'll have to hear a little bit from Paul, too, because I'm convinced there's something vital about practicing the ability to quiet that inner voice that we all have that can be such a major player in robbing us of peace. And Paul has something really great to say about that. So let's jump into Isaiah. Chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And here's our first voice. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The God of Israel has just commanded his mouthpiece, Isaiah, to comfort his covenant people. They are in exile, and they needed some persuading to trust and believe in God's love for them. Isaiah is saying they will receive twice as much blessing as they have received judgment. You just wait. He's coming, and he's bringing his peace, so prepare the way. And there we have that first voice speaking to us. This voice is saying God sees you're waiting, and he's working and I know you feel as if your world is falling apart and that it's God's fault. But he's going to break into your life's story. And it will be so amazing that everyone will see his glory in it. So prepare for it. And Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of peace. Saying that valleys will be lifted up. And mountains and hills will be made low. Uneven ground made level. And rough places made smooth. This imagery is absolutely captivating to me, but it's really troublesome to me too. Despite one terrifying night on a mountainside alone, I genuinely do absolutely love the outdoors. God made me that way. Being outside does something good to me. I try to get outside any way I can. I live right next to the Garden of the Gods. It's so beautiful, and months ago, in my absolute lowest point of this very hard year. I committed to making it a priority every day to take a hike there. I knew I needed to prioritize this for my own sanity or I'd get swallowed up by 2020. So I plotted out my favorite trails, leading to my favorite views, where I could try to step away from these hard circumstances in my life in search of some peace. And I wanted to connect with God while waiting for him to show up in my life in all these ways that I needed him to. Isaiah's imagery about the valleys and the hilltops is captivating to me because I've always been able to see God in his awe-inspiring nature. His face, it's undeniable to me in mountains and valleys and oceans and fields. But this imagery Isaiah uses of preparing a way for God in our hearts that leads to valleys being raised up and hilltops being made low has been really troublesome to me too. Because I have logged countless miles on this trail of mine in search of God's peace, just waiting for him to show up. And there are a couple of little valleys on my path, and they're cold, and they're dark, and they're lonely. And there are a few hilltops that I have to climb on my trail with beautiful vistas, some days they feel impossible to climb to the top of. I'm telling you, early on in my commitment to this daily time with God in the garden, I was barely trudging through these miles of trail, head down, like not even looking up to take it all in, sometimes in tears, heavy-hearted, a fear-filled mind, an unbelieving heart, worn out, burned out, angry at God, and all these challenging circumstances that made me feel tossed out and forgotten. It was really all I could do to just physically be out there trying to see this commitment with God through. Where was this peace I've read about in the Bible? Where was this glory of the Lord being revealed? As beautiful as valleys being raised up and mountains being laid low sounds, that had not been my experience. Even after committing to time with God, nothing was changing for me. My circumstances just continued to crush me. So I can really resonate with the voice that follows. So let's hear from our second voice this morning, starting in verse six. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. In the beginning, my daily hikes were a great representation of these few verses. God, you raise up the valleys and you lower the mountains. I don't see that happening. All flesh is like grass, and this is where I would really wrestle with God. Even in this committed time spent with God during these daily hikes, I just felt blown around by the wind. And it didn't feel like the breath of God, because that would renew me. I was being blown around by hard circumstances, finding their way into literally every corner of my life. So a voice tells me to cry out? God, what shall I cry? My circumstances weren't changing. These valleys I walked through just seemed to get lower and darker. These mountains I was climbing just seemed to get taller and more impossible. I was very quick to blame my circumstances for robbing me of peace. And I was quick to blame God for not changing them for my sake. I wonder if my own inner voice was more to blame. One day on my hike, I was reminded of where that peace that passes all understanding is talked about in the Bible. It's a popular verse. It's plucked out of Philippians, and it's smacked on memes and stickers. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I tried to pluck that verse right out of Philippians and smack it on my mind and my heart. I meditated on it during my hikes. I said, don't be anxious. I prayed about the things breaking my heart. I made request after request. God, grant me peace. I never felt that peace. I was still walking into those valleys, low as ever, feeling alone as ever. I was still climbing those hills, both physically and emotionally. It was not getting any easier. So I revisited that verse in my Bible, and I read it in context. That's a really novel idea. The verse after that verse that promises the peace that transcends all our understanding is also often plucked out of context and slapped on memes and stickers. I had never really considered these verses altogether, like a road map before. So right after this promise of God's peace that transcends our understanding and that will guard our hearts and our minds, we are told to do something pretty important. In fact, I think entirely necessary for that peace that transcends our understanding to take hold of us. Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything that is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Suddenly, I realize I have a lot of work to do. I can sure present my requests to God in every situation, and I was doing that daily. But as as I was waiting on God to answer, I was not addressing that internal voice. In verses 6 and 7, Paul is calling us to lift up the trial or tragedy to God. In verse 8, Paul is calling us to replace that space with something new. So the old thing can truly be uprooted because the space it has been using to thrive is no longer available. When these actions are done together, not one without the other, miracles begin to happen. This is the work of surrendering. This is hard work. It's climbing those mountains over and over. It's revisiting those lonely valleys again and again. And while there, taking these lovely things with us. While we're in that dark valley, or barely making it up that tall mountain, Rejecting the intrusive thoughts of blame and abandonment. And believing that these lovely things about our God are true. Even in the midst of our suffering. Even in the midst of our waiting. In order for our weary world to fully rejoice, we have to steep in the sadness and the absence of God's voice. Just like the Israelites did. To appreciate the coming of the light, we have to endure the darkness. In order to experience the peace that passes all understanding, we have to know what it's like to walk in faith without that peace for a time. And we have to repent, which literally means to turn, to change our mind, to change the direction and replace those intrusive, overwhelming thoughts with the things we know to be true of our God. The lovely things, the pure things, the lasting things. And as we consistently do that work of surrender, one day, we don't even realize the valleys have been raised up, the mountains have been made low, the path has been made clear. And then, God can replace our broken voice with his voice. Our circumstances may not change, but his voice is formed in us in the waiting. And it requires us to meet God there in the waiting, in the in-between. It requires a change of mind and heart To leave behind the consuming fear and doubt and replace those with the loveliness and faithfulness and trustworthiness of God. And there will be that in-between time where we are forced to walk in faith that those lovely things are even true. And we will feel like grass blown around by the wind. But in contrast to this withering and wilting of our spirits. There is the word of Yahweh that remains forever alive and fresh and stands regardless of time or tragedy. And then we find within us this third beautiful voice that Isaiah talks about. In verse 9, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. When we faithfully lift this frustrating lack of peace to God and do the work of replacing that empty space with the voice of our loving shepherd, cutting out our own inner voice, which is so often the culprit We find that these valleys we crawl through are raised up and these mountains we stumble to climb are made low. And we see that the word of our God does stand forever. And even in the waiting, we find the strength to lift up this newfound voice with a shout, fear no longer keeping us silent. We see our good shepherd present with us in these circumstances. And we say, here is our God. He comes with power. He comes with reward to repay what was lost, to rebuild what was torn down. He gathers us up like lambs in his arms. And he holds us close to his heart. And we experience that peace that transcends our understanding. And our hearts and our minds are guarded by our Jesus. Now back up on that mountain where I spent the night alone in my tent, could I have had peace? Well, if God had caused the thunderstorm to stop, but the peace I would have had would have just been circumstantial. And these last few months of my life and this last year, the same is true. I could have had peace if God had just changed all my circumstances, but nothing new would have been formed in me. No lasting peace would have been forged. What if we adjust our efforts from wanting our circumstances to change to allowing ourselves to be changed, forming a truer, stronger inner voice within us? This is what Christmas is really about. Jesus didn't come to us to just change all of our hard circumstances. He wasn't born to us a baby to live and to die so we could have a transaction and never suffer. Jesus came to us to walk with us in our hard circumstances. To form beautiful lasting, meaningful things in us, things we can take with us that will help guide us through future trials and tragedies. If we let him, Jesus forms in us a steady, trusting, peaceful voice that does not get blown by the wind like grass because we worked with him to forge and build that thing in fire and in pain, and in holy waiting. Through the valleys and over the mountains, we worked on rooting out the worry and the fear, and we worked on letting true peace take root in its place. And that kind of peace, it sticks around, even when we feel as though our world is falling apart. As we close, I'd like to give us some space to lament the frustrating lack of peace that I know we have all experienced this year while waiting for God to show up and change our difficult circumstances. Our peace has taken a beating. Could we take a minute here and allow every heart to consider the lack of peace that you have felt? Just acknowledge the lonely valleys you've had to walk through and the endless mountains you've had to climb. Care for that painful feeling like you would a dear friend. Have empathy for yourself and how a lack of peace has likely robbed you of some things. Now, could we each take a moment to offer that thing up to God in prayer and petition? Allow God to gather those hurts and losses up into his arms and picture him holding them close to his heart like little lambs. Finally, could we ask God to refill that space with something new that we allow him to form in us? Something lovely and lasting that we can point at within us and say, here is my God. we just continue to reflect.
1: The son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, he manual
2: shall come to thee, O Israel. We are living in a world divided. Two sides and you must choose one. There is no middle line. There is no compromise. 2020, the year that was supposed to bring us clear vision, has become a year of deepest division. So many live in a world of the or, not the end. You must make a stand. Doesn't matter who gets hurt. Racism, abortion, education, guns, healthcare, the running of our nation, human rights, international relations. We've each taken our battle stations. Trust no one who is not like you. The divide grows greater. The increase of hate, our lines are drawn. Sometimes we arm ourselves with our rationale and our social media accounts and aim our scriptures at those who disagree. We were told that in this world we will have trouble. Well, we have found it. The bubble of our first world safety nets does not keep us from the harm of self-sabotage. The deep rifts are tearing us apart. But the war raging without is simply a sign of the unseen battle within. We pine for resolution. The ache inside each of us that cries for peace. Our souls long for rest, to lay down the fight so we might be still and know. Like the disciples, we are on the boat and the storm is raging. We need someone to speak to the wind and waves to save us. Just say the word and the night goes calm and there is peace. Peace is a promise. The beautiful shalom when our hearts feel at home and we flourish together the nourishment of our souls forever. There is peace in the waiting, a sacred beauty in creating the pause. When we give ourselves over to the process of waiting, we can trust. We trust that the Lord will be there for us at the end of the waiting, period. In the chaos of 2020, we lift our eyes to rest on you. You are our peace. In the loss and disappointment and division and pain, you are our peace. In the midst of this season of busy and doing, you are our peace. We slow, we pause, we hold our breath in anticipation. The waiting is hard, but it is holy. We invite you into the waiting. We believe the fullness of time will happen again. You are our hope. You are our peace, Jesus.
1: Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. shall come to thee. be steadfast my soul he's in the waiting he's in the waiting hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds he's never failing he's never failing in the waiting, hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds, he's never failed.
0: Whether you're here with us in person or watching online I invite you if you're comfortable during this time of benediction to take this posture of receiving and may these words serve as our benediction may they be a great example of the truth that we can take with us down into our valleys and up over those mountains take courage my heart stay steadfast my soul he's in the waiting he's in the waiting hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds he's never failing he's never failing follow Jesus